This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Martok on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. From a distant moon, inside a cave that it took the Starfleet Corps of Engineers 10 months in spacesuits to tunnel out, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I am your co-host, Bill Smith, and thank you so much for, for being with us this week and for downloading the podcast. We're very excited to have you here because today we're going to talk about two of the greatest hours in Star Trek history. I'm not going to lie. And of course, when I say we, I do mean my illustrious co-host and myself. You know, there's a scene in this movie where uh, the, the antagonist takes a couple of worms and slides them around inside a helmet and puts them on the guy's head. I actually would do that to my co-host if I could, simply just to drive him mad, because that's exactly how he makes me feel every time he opens his mouth. He is the largely torturable Dan Davidson, and Dan... Uh, this is Seti Alpha 5! Wait, hi, first of all, hi. It's great to hi. see you. I sounded like Ellen there for a second. Yeah, uh, you kind of did. Hi, okay. Hi. Um, I'm a little confused. We were going to talk about two of the greatest hours in Star Trek history. I thought that was Sub Rosa and Aquiel, but you're talking about something else, so I'm a little confused. Yeah, yeah, no, only if uh, if Robert Reyes is writing this category. <laughs> Love you, no. Robert. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great to be here. This is a conversation I am looking very much forward to. We've talked about this a lot. We've had people on around the holidays to talk about their memories with this movie. And and as we said last week in the teaser, it's considered the greatest of the Star Trek films. So this week, buddy, you and I are going to talk Star Trek II, The Wrath of God. At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. You know, I actually have a 1983 uh, lobby poster from Wrath of Khan framed or matted in framed. Um, it is not currently hanging in my house because I need more wall space, but it's it's hung in my home ever since I've been an adult. I got it on. It was the first thing I ever bought on eBay um, huh. back in like 99. Interesting. And it came from a movie theater in Iowa. Um, they were selling a whole bunch of posters that they had found, you know, in a closet somewhere. And one of them was an original Rathacon lobby poster. It is folded 
um, like the posters of that era used to be because they used to ship in manila envelopes. And it is one of my favorite things in the world. I tell you what. That's so funny because one of the first things I remember ever buying was in relation to Star Trek II. And I was at an antique car show with my dad and we were in Canada. And I went across the street from the hotel to like a pharmacy or, or like just like a little store. Hmm. And they had Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, the novelization. And it's one of the first things I ever bought in my life with Canadian money. Oh, wow. Yeah. That- and, then I, and I read it. That novelization by Vonda McIntyre, who recently passed, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the greatest Star Trek novelizations of all time. Yet we digress. We're going to yes. get into more of this later. Okay. In the meantime, Dan, sorry. how might our fellow Star Trek fans tell us their feelings about Star Trek 2? Well, it's so easy to get in touch with us. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And there you will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can click on that big, giant, bright blue button on the right-hand side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And don't forget, the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends to talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is always positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to see them first in Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to uh, give a big thanks to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for all of the amazing job they do running the camp. But Bill, remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. We've got to get out of here. Hurry. <laughs> I uh every, I almost said it like Schwarzenegger because that's, you know, you do go ahead, you may as well do it. We've got to get out of here. Get out of here. Everybody down, get in the chopper. Can you imagine if Schwarzenegger was Khan? <laughs> what would that sound like? Oh my god. I oh I shall leave you as you left me, and that's how you left her. Maroon for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. I can't breathe. Oh, God. (laughs) Stop it. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. Da, 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 da. For all the news <laughs> on all the Star Trek CEO. Da, 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 da. Stop it. It's treknews.net. Da, 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 to pump you up. <laughs> I've never had you do this before. This is great. <laughs> Online at treknews.net. Come on, we're a serious show. Stop it. <laughs> oh, God. 
Oh, sorry, everybody. Oh, I've got tears streaming down my face. That he was really awesome. He really does, people. He really does. Oh, first up, Dan. You know, April is an important month in Star Trek history. April 5th, 2063 is, of course, First Contact Day, as we mentioned uh, at uh, in the outtake, which people will hear later. And on April 16th, 2161, the NX-01 was launched, the, the Enterprise. Mm. But now, Dan, we can add another day in April that marks a significant day in Star Trek lore. Absolutely, we can, Bill. Write down the date, people. Monday, April 22nd, 2019. What is the significance of this date, you may ask? Well, it is the day that filming of the yet unnamed Picard Star Trek series began filming. Very excited about this. Executive producer Michael Shabon sent out a photo on Instagram of his chair uh, with the caption, first day. So it's happening, folks. Uh, it's real, and I can't wait for that first trailer. And the title for the for the new show, Bill. Uh, hopefully we'll see that soon. I have a feeling we'll see stuff uh, at STLV, and I'm very excited. It is, cameras are rolling. That, that thing that snaps down, the that was going on Monday, and I think that's very cool. The slate? It does what? <laughs> like a pencil. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I almost kind of hope they don't name it. I, I would love to call it the unnamed Picard series for the rest of its life. <laughs> That's awesome. That would be very cool. Star Trek colon nothing. Blank. <laughs> exactly. It could be like a match game thing. Bounce. <laughs> wow, we are really off the rails. Oh, we really are. It's all your fault, too. Oh, my God. Um, I, I'm very excited that they've started filming. You're right. I, this I, this almost guarantees that we're going to see something by way of a teaser, either at San Diego Comic-Con uh, or also at Star Trek Las Vegas. I imagine they'll debut it at San Diego, but um, mm. th they have to they have to bring it to STLV. They just absolutely have to. And I can only hope that Sir Patrick makes an appearance as well. Oh, gosh. Everybody who remembers what happened last year when that door opened and he walked out to announce that Jean-Luc Picard will be back, the place went berserk. And uh, I... Got to, I got to think that the executive at CBS realize how important it is to do something like that at Vegas, where it's one hundred percent Star Trek related. So here's hoping. Yeah, I think there's a a big plus to doing something like that in front of the home team, if you will. Um, uh, uh, San Diego Comic Con is you know an event that everybody follows. I mean, you know all the uh, all the the websites and all the 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 outlets report on what happens at SDCC, but there's nothing like making a huge announcement before the home team. Absolutely. Because um, we saw what happened when they announced Patrick Stewart. The, the place really was just in pandemonium. I've never heard uh, uh, just throngs of people cheering like that at STLV before. It was it was a moment I will never forget. Well, also, Dan, for those of you who may not have loved what happened in the finale of Star Trek Discovery's second season, you know, like you, <laughs> um, you might want to check out a new comic book coming from our friends at IDW. Yeah, this is kind of cool. A new three-issue series called Star Trek Discovery Aftermath will tackle events just after the finale of Discovery Season 2. Now, for those of you who have not seen the finale, we're not going to give away any spoilers, but this new series is described by the publisher as, quote, in the aftermath of the 2019 finale, everything in Discovery has changed. And as Laurel and Pike try to negotiate a fragile peace, Spock finds himself grappling with the fallout from what happened with Michael Burnham and the mysteries about her still left to unravel, end quote. That was pretty nice. Uh, look for the new comic series this August at your local comic book store or online. IDW has done this before. They've had a couple of series about Discovery, and they have been fantastic reads. So I definitely am going to add this to my uh, to my um, Kindle or my 
whatever my online comic book app is. I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm excited to see this because I'm interested to see, you know, where they take this story. Um, You know, the older I get, the less I care about what's canon and what's not. I want good stories told well. And I kind of like where they're springing off from here. I think that this three issue series could be really fascinating and I'm super looking forward to it. It's really the only one thing I, that when I read this, I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Is it's only going to be three episodes or three three books issues? Yeah. yeah, three issues. I love it if it was longer, like maybe a twelve parter or something like that. But hey, I'll take what I can get. You know, discoveries off the air for the next year, so keep it coming, baby. A- Amen to that. And finally, Dan, you know, we reported last week that Jonathan Frakes has been slated to direct two episodes of the new Picard series and two episodes of Discovery season three. And in a recent interview. He kind of had a couple of interesting things to say. Yeah, you know, the the more I read about this guy, the more I love him, Bill. Uh, in a recent interview on TrekMovie.com, he stated that he believes that TNG should have kept going beyond all good things, which is kind of neat. He said, quote, I'm not convinced the series finale is the end of stories we could have told with that family on the Enterprise. I'm not sure if it had 21 seasons of Law & Order SVU in it, but it certainly had more to come, end quote. So I think that's kind of cool. He actually referenced that uh, his good friend uh, Marina Sirtis also agrees with that. And additionally, the highly respected actor and director said that regarding the rumors of a Tarantino Star Trek film, that he was, quote, very, very excited about the possibility of working with Quentin Tarantino, end quote. So that's very interesting as well. And finally, Franks thinks that episodic television may be the way to go with Trek moving forward. As he said, quote, the episodic style has been so good for the franchise, and I am sure some of this has to do with the fact that I have been in movie jail. I did three successful movies and one massively unsuccessful movie, and I've been in movie jail ever since. I'm very grateful to be working on television. I also think that television is the medium now for new ideas, end quote. I love that last line, Bill. We've been talking all season or for two seasons now with Discovery that episodic television, it's like watching a movie in your living room because the quality has been so great. And it's good to see someone with such a Star Trek background kind of thinks the same thing because we're not sure when or if there's going to be another Star Trek movie. So to have someone like Frakes behind the camera doing episodes of Picard and Discovery makes me feel pretty good. Well, and, you know, it it seems like movies are are so unimaginative and uninspiring these days yeah with the exception of something like avengers endgame you know movies are all, all seem to be just things we've already seen before and i think that most of the chances like he says are, are being taken on television and, and I, I i applaud that and i agree with it wholeheartedly i i think it's a, a medium that lets stuff burn in more and i think that's really what's exciting you know you can't do discovery i think is just a two-hour film I think it has to be a, a 13 to 14 hour sort of a book, if you will, for television. And I think that allows them to explore many more ideas. So I'm very excited by that. You know, I'll be happy when if there are more Star Trek movies, but I, I agree with them. I think Episodic uh, has been very successful for Star Trek, and that's where it should be right now. Very much agree. Dan, here we are, taking time during the show to talk about our very dear friends at Fansets. And as always, we want everyone to head on over to their site and take a look at just the fantastic array of pins and accessories they have. 
you know, from Star Trek to Alien and, and coming soon, Big Bang Theory and Supernatural and others. There are pins for just so many different franchises that we all love. Yes, even Firefly. I know you're a big fan. <laughs> Plus, if you want to catch up on all the latest news with Fansets, you got to check out their blog at fansets.com slash blogs slash news. It's a great site because every month they talk about all the pins that are coming out with every genre and every franchise. So definitely want to check that out. It's a great place to get all the details on those monthly pin releases. And Bill, speaking of monthly releases, we want to remind everyone that for the month of May, for Star Trek fans, you can look forward to Space Station K7 from the TOS classic Trouble with Tribbles because Tribbles are not dangerous. And that's coming out on May 1st. And then on May 15th, you can add everyone's favorite genetically engineered doctor, Julian Bashir, to your collection. Both pins will be available to purchase at fansets.com. And as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to take uh, 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, even if you order non-Star Trek stuff, Simply enter the word SACRIFICE at checkout. That's all capitals and no spaces. This code will be available until midnight on Sunday, April 28th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. So don't delay. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan. Bill. Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. You know, mm. I, I can't say those words without smiling. Because you are, you are smiling. since <laughs> I know, right? Because since 1982, I have absolutely loved and adored this movie from the moment I saw it at the Colonial Theater in downtown Laconia, New Hampshire, on a very warm June day in a theater that didn't have very good air conditioning. Oh, <laughs> 37 years ago. 37. I mean, it, I don't know why, but to me, that 37 years since it came out is more hard to under, to like comprehend than the 40th anniversary of TMP, which is this year. I don't know why, but it is. And similar to you, I saw The Wrath of Khan that June uh, at the Brandt Theater in Nashua, which we have talked about before mm-hmm. um, here on the show. And I got to say, I left that theater really pissed off. What? Yeah. I, I was crying, first of all. And there was somebody that I that I met uh, at the theater who was a friend of mine from school or something like that. So we kind of sat next to each other while we were watching the movie. And of course, you know, at the end, I'm I'm tearing up and I'm sniffling. And as soon as the credits rolled, I bolted up and I I just walked right out of the building like with a with an attitude. I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe that just happened. Was it because Spock was dead? Spoiler yes. alert! Spoiler oh alert. <laughs> yeah. Really, you were mad at that. I was. I was. I was sad and, and mad at the same time. I was wow. smad, smad, mad. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, because wow. it was, you know, back in the day, we didn't have online. We didn't have anything. So we didn't have spoilers. Right. I, I had no idea this was going to happen. We, I, well, actually, I take that back. I thought there was some discussion about that he was going to die. And I thought it was all a joke because of what happens in the Kobayashi Maru. We see him go down in that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that's just what they were talking about. Ah, funny, funny. And then it really happened. And I, I just, I was so upset. Yeah. They kind of bait and switched us there because the word had leaked <laughs> Gene Roddenberry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. And um, so, so they, they shot sort of the, the dummy intro or the, the, the dummy death, if you will. Um, I, I gotta say um, that moment was not all that emotional for me when it happened. 
um, as much as I love Spock, I mean, Spock is Star Trek to me, but during that scene, I, I didn't cry. I was stunned when it happened. You know, I walked out of that theater kind of dumbfounded, but I didn't cry. And that really kind of amazed me. Um, yeah, because uh, as tied to Star Trek as I was, it just yeah. uh, maybe I was in shock. I don't know, but I definitely didn't have that reaction. But I, I guess I'm sad. I can understand. I'm surprised you were mad. I was. I remember vividly that you know he's in the he's in the engineering chamber, and he walks into the glass. So obviously he's blinded by the light. Oh, um, you did. sorry, sorry. But the close up of Leonard during that scene, you can see that he's got radiation burns and his skin is flaking and 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 that just it started really, you know, getting to me. And then when he just kind of like he kind of like kind of half stood up to get his legs straightened out and then just sat down to slump against the glass and Kirk gives that voice quivering no, that's what that's what got it for me and then the music. That's what really got got it for me was that that part of it oh my god i watch it today and i ball i'll, I'll tell you that <laughs> yeah um james horner's score throughout that whole scene well throughout the whole movie is fantastic but that scene in particular just you know totally gets you mm -hmm. um and the other part that gets me is the 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 third guy that's holding shatner back in that scene yes you've got scotty on one arm you got mccoy on the other one and this unnamed guy extra dude his chest. sort of comes in and and spear tackles him Mm -hmm. And holds him across the midsection, and part of me wants to believe that they had to do that because Shatner was just so filled with emotion doing the scene. Um, but that's what always got me about that scene. It wasn't Scotty. It wasn't Bones. It was the third dude. You know what gets me about that particular part of that scene? What's is that? He's holding Kirk back, and you just see Kirk realize what's about to happen, and you see the weight, and he puts his hand down on that. Starfleet officer to yeah. tell him, okay, you can, you can, you can get up or you can stop holding me back. That's a powerful moment. Really powerful. It really is. You know, people like to dog Shatner for overacting. Um, and we've all done it before, you know, I understand, but there are moments where he truly is exceptional mm -hmm. and they're greater than the times where people bust him for overacting. And that scene in particular in Star Trek two is probably one of his greatest moments as Kirk, because it's truly one of the few times that captain James D Kirk has felt loss. Yeah. And, and you know what? I kind of will also say that Shatner it may have been coming from Shatner himself not acting. I mean, you know, here's the death of this person that he's had as a character on the show that made him famous and 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 he's going to have a death scene with him. But I'll tell you what, even with that being said, nobody can go down a ladder without using the rungs better than that guy. How <laughs> <laughs> did I know you were going to go there? I just knew it. There's so much in that one scene. We could spend the whole episode talking about that one scene in engineering from Scotty with the he's dead already. Just the 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 punch to the gut with that he had to say that otherwise you know who knows what because spock wouldn't have, i mean uh kirk wouldn't have stopped well no because it truly does slap kirk right in the face that's when and he the, gives that that hand gesture to the, yeah. to the officer yeah hey, kirk, kirk is met with the truth and scotty just doesn't pull any punches because mm -hmm. it's the only way kirk only way kirk is going to understand yeah. yeah you know your 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 best friend is dead yeah he doesn't he may not be yet but he's dead and that uh, that's just a sobering moment because as Star Trek fans, especially who, who didn't see that coming, we all kind of got slapped in the face at that very same time. Well, that's why I left the the theater, you know, 
you know, misty eyed and, and, and angry as I, as I walk, I can remember walking up that ramp. I just grabbed my, uh, you know, if I had a, gla- a drink or whatever I had, and I just grabbed it out of the cup holder in the seat. Stood, I didn't even say goodbye to the guy that I was sitting next to. I just like got up and left. I was just like, Oh my God, I cannot even believe this. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to think of now, you know, in the last year, I have seen Star Trek two, sorry, in the last two years, I have seen Star Trek two in theaters twice. Nice. I haven't seen it in theaters at all. Once for the 35th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, it was playing at the theater that's right behind where we work. Okay. And I went down and, and I saw it because it was the 35th anniversary showing. And there was a, an interview between Scott Mance and, and Leonard Nimoy. I'm sorry. And out. sorry. Ooh, William Shatner. Um, that's, that's a horrible mistake to make. I apologize. That's right. No, that's okay. Um, between Shatner and Mance, which was interesting. I mean, it's pretty much all the same stuff Shatner had always said, but man, that movie looked good on the big screen. And then uh, the year after that, last summer, I saw it at the Capitol Theater in Concord, New Hampshire, when Shatner yes. was on his tour mm-hmm. uh, doing screenings. Um, and I think you were at Disney I, at that I point, was, too. I was at Disney. Yeah, I was going to say that's why I didn't get to go. Yeah. Um, I went with Matt McGonigal. Uh, John Krikorian was there. Um, you know, it was a, it was a fantastic time. And it just further reinforced me that Shatner's still never seen that movie. (laughs) (laughs) And he talked about everything but Star Trek two, which was kind of a letdown, but I mean, how can you talk about a movie you've never seen? Isn't that funny that um, not only that he didn't, that he, that he talked about a movie that he hasn't seen that a lot of, Hollywood people don't watch themselves. I remember we were talking about Picard in the news segment. When he came out in STLV, he talked about that recently he has watched episodes of The Next Generation that he had never seen before, is how he put it. And it's like, really? And of course, Shatner's had 37 years to watch Wrath of Khan, and he hasn't watched it yet. So that's weird. No, it, it's, it, it, I guess I'm not surprised. I mean, especially there are so many emotional moments in that movie, and that's not excusing the fact that he's not watched it. I mean, he's Shatner. Shatner going to do what Shatner does. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 part of me was kind of hoping that he had gone back to watch, you know, his his friend's most amazing performance. Yeah. Um, because Leonard truly is just perfection personified in that movie. Everything about Leonard, I love in that. I mean, we 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 get to see the the uh, monster maroons for the first time, of course. Yeah, are fantastic, and and I don't think, and and I say this in all seriousness, I don't think anybody wore that uniform better than Leonard. Yeah, you know, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Shatner's a little a little bigger in Star Trek too. So he fills out the uniform a little bit more, but Spock is, you know, the tall, slender Vulcan and that uniform with the way that that white collar fit around his neck. And we get to see some of those new insignia that they had on those uniforms. I always will love how he looked in those monster maroons in, uh, well, in the beginning of the movie. Because they looked like something more than space pajamas. Ab- absolutely. Which and we saw on Star Trek one. Yeah, well, no, I'm talking about the original series. Oh, that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they just got better pajamas in the motion picture. <laughs> um, but those monster maroons just looked totally killer. I mean, the first time I saw one, I was like, Oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. And the, and the, and the thing that folds down in the, in the front. Yeah. So the, yeah. the, uh, the front flap that folds awesome. down. Yeah. Um, so many interesting design choices in that movie, you know, from, from the, the uniforms to the change in the lighting on the enterprise, which I thought was really good. It looked less mm-hmm. sterile, right? It looked like a ship that people actually lived on. Sure. Um, it looked a little more, 
uh, homey's not the right word, but it, it looked lived like it. In. Yeah, it did look lived in. It didn't look like it just came out of dry dock. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, I I love so much the visuals created by um, Nick Meyer and his team. You know, the director of photography and and all that stuff. Um, because I really think that changing the look of Star Trek at that point went a long way to selling the credibility of this story. Right. One of the things that I also liked about it is in this, in this, you know, nowadays when we talk about discovery, a lot of the special effects are absolutely outstanding, but they're special effects. The ship is a special effect. It's not a model to my knowledge. It's not. Um, But in Star Trek two, they still use the real models. And when the enterprise is being shown or the reliant or regular one for that matter, even, even the space station, it just has a look of reality to it that you don't always get with the special effects we see today. Um, and I, that's something I really, really appreciate also, especially the reliant because of the way that the way that that ship is constructed and it has the beams where the, where the, um, uh, uh, impulse engine is located and stuff like that. Kind of like yeah. bar, like roll bars. So to kind <laughs> of, um, I just have always really appreciated that aspect of it. I think one of the areas where that's most prominent is the battle of the Mutara Nebula. So great. Um, it, I, for me, as far as Star Trek went, that was a total game changer. Mm-hmm. You know, before in Star Trek, we used to see a stationary ship fighting another stationary ship, and they would all shoot things at each other from across the, you know, the the, the vacuum of space, and nobody would move. Right. Because, you know, in TV in the 60s, you didn't have the budget to do that. You know, that's really all you could achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of showed space combat a lot differently, and it showed some, shall I say, three-dimensional thinking <laughs> i see what you did there very nice yeah the one the one thing that and, and you're gonna probably laugh because i got this wrong for so many years which is hard to believe with star trek trivia but that one scene with a and the ship hull comes up over the other one yeah for so many years i thought it was the other way around oh really yeah and only i think Gosh, maybe when I got the, maybe only within the last couple of years when we got the special director's cut DVD and I was watching it, I'm like, wait a minute, that, what, huh? <laughs> so, so yeah, <laughs> maybe because I concentrate on the music and, and, and Khan and, and, and everything so much during that scene that I never really stopped to look at the ship going over the hull and realize that it was completely opposite of what for 30 years I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go no that's fascinating to me mm-hmm. it's it's interesting how our mind plays tricks on us yeah and makes us see things we we believe are, are there that actually mm-hmm. aren't uh, although now I, I can't help but see the film strip canisters on the reliant bridge you know what i'm talking about no i don't think i do so in the shot uh in the movie where khan says he tasks me yeah on the wall of the bridge which you can see over his shoulder there's a film strip canister. You remember the old film strip uh, things that would unfold? You get like four cassette tapes and four yeah. round holes that the film strips would go in. Yep. They took one of those, painted it, slapped it on the wall, and it looks like a panel. <laughs> I'm now I'm never going to be able to not see it. See, that's that somebody pointed out to me, and now I can't unsee that. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this, th- I'm, we're kind of skipping all over the place just because this this is kind of a freeform discussion, and it, with Rathacon, there's exactly. really no way you can do that. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, yeah. but saying that instantly makes me think of Ricardo Montalban. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie doesn't work without him. 
you know, if you think to the original series and what they could have made a sequel about, of course, you know, we have 37 years of bias on our side, but nothing works. But but Khan and 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 what happened after they got to study Alpha Five. I mean, it's it's yeah. just so great. And you're right; it can't work without Ricardo Montalban. And 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 watching it, I was very excited because I was a big Fantasy Island fan, and that's what I knew him from. So to see him doing this, even though I had seen Space Seed, which I'll be honest with you, until Star Trek Two came out, I was not a huge fan of that episode. I really started watching it a lot more when we heard that it was going to be about Khan. But before then, it was one of those ones like, eh, whatever. It's some Spanish guy playing somebody who's supposed to be from India. I really don't get that. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to confess something. Prior to seeing Wrath of Khan, I had never seen Space Seed until the week before I saw Wrath of Khan. That's amazing. There was this syndicated um, Star Trek episode countdown which was partly hosted by Leonard Nimoy. And I think it ran on, on uh, channel 56 in Boston and also WPIX 11 out of New York city. And essentially it was Leonard hosting like the top 10 episodes as voted by some fans somewhere. And all of it was really just to promote wrath of Khan coming up because the number one was going to be space seed, no matter what Mm -hmm. I think if it wasn't number one, it was pretty close to the top. And he starts talking about how this is the inspiration for the wrath of Khan movie. And the wrath of Khan is really kind of a sequel. I'm like, I had no idea because yeah. in the eight years or so I'd been watching Star Trek at that point, I had never seen Space Seed because I just missed it in syndication. Interesting. So I kind of got brand new Star Trek that week. And then the, you know, the next weekend when my mom took me to the movie, I got to see the episode. It was all fresh in my mind and it was fantastic. Space Seed to this day remains one of my like top five TOS episodes. Of all oh, time. I, I love it now. I just remember back then, before then, I hadn't seen it a lot but it was just one of those ones. I really don't care about this one. He's kind of a weird guy. He's throwing the women around and then he's, you know, he's Kirk is beating him with the pipe that he took out of the engine room wall. <laughs> you really don't understand what was going on, but I'll tell you what Ricardo was great in so many things that he did. I, I ha- would have to argue with anyone who says that there was a performance better than what he did in this. There isn't. I don't think there is. No, he, he puts on a tour de force. I mean, it truly is a clinic on how to be the best villain of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, it, it really, it, it's different. He just doesn't show up and, and is in a movie. He truly puts on a stage worthy performance. Yeah. You know, he is a very Shakespearean villain in some sense. And, you know, he's not chewing scenery. He is just owning every scene he's in. And he is just, he's magical. I marvel at his performance in Wrath of Khan. Well, and Space Seed too, but in Wrath of Khan in particular, every time I watch it, and I've seen this movie, what, a hundred times? Yeah, it, it really is amazing. The other thing that's amazing is he and Shatner never had a scene together. You see him on the view screen, yeah, Kirk, but they never had a face-to-face or or physical interaction with each other. And that really, it's really something to, to, that's amazing when you think about all that happens in that movie. They never actually, you know, meet. It's really, it's, it's really it blows amazing. my mind. Yeah. In 1985, I'm pretty sure it was 85, um, when Wrath of Khan was first broadcast on ABC television, the Sunday night of the movies, mm-hmm. we had our first VHS machine. And so I went out and I bought a, a blank tape specifically for Wrath of Khan mm-hmm. and I set it to the two hour mode 
And I sat there like a ninja and I recorded the movie off TV and I paused for every commercial break. But every time I paused, the counter would click back like one or two numbers because it was a digital counter. So I would have to stop, play, get play it too past where I wanted to stop it again, hit stop. So it would count back to the right spot and then hit record (laughs) and play and pause all before the movie started again. That's, that's dedication, baby. This is a pain (laughs) that kids today just don't know. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Those old style VHS machines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and when they, was it that um, showing on ABC where they threw in new footage that we did not see in the theater? Yeah. Nick Meyer and creating the edit for ABC put in the, the blind is a Tiberian bat scene. Mm -hmm. um, And and a couple of other ones that made it in or mostly made it into the director's DVD. Yeah, I think, um, I think the elevator scene with Savick was either a reshoot or had added stuff to it also, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. But for the longest time, that was the version of Wrath of Khan I watched until I, dude, I wore that VHS tape out. <laughs> I mean, I bought a copy of Wrath of Khan on VHS when mm-hmm. it came out. It cost me 40 bucks. Yeah. You know, and uh, I wore that out too. And then I bought a special like uh, collector's edition VHS, which cost me eighteen ninety nine back in those days. Right. And so at one point I had three copies of Wrath of Khan, two of which were worn out. Um, if I have to think about it today, I think I still own three or four copies of Wrath of Khan. And that's, that's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, it's, I, I don't, but um, Hey, and you know, I, I worked in a video store for 20 something years back in those days. And I remember when first contact came out, which was in the later nineties, that movie retail, when it came out was like $89 on VHS. So those are pretty good prices you got for those movies. So don't ever get rid of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have the VHS copies anymore. I wish I oh. did, but even then I played the hell out of them yeah. to the point where, I mean, the boxes were falling apart, <laughs> you know, the, the, the tape look, you know, looks like it had been through the ringer. Um, when I bought my first copy on DVD, it was like, you know, you play a C major chord and a light from heaven shone down. I mean, yeah. and now I own it on, I have, uh, one copy on DVD. Actually, I have two copies on DVD. I have uh, one, a standard one on Blu-ray, and I have the directors on Blu-ray. So I have actually four copies of Rathacon. The original one that you had on VHS, did it have that awesome promotional picture of Ricardo uh, as, as Montalban as Khan with the two women on either side of him? No. I always loved that picture of him from that movie. No, I had one that looked like the uh, the movie poster. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, uh, the original movie poster, the lobby right. one that had the images around the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one I had, had a black cover. I think it was like an anniversary edition and it had a shot of Kirk and Spock and McCoy in Kirk's quarters getting ready to view the Genesis tape. Oh, okay. Um, and the, uh, of course my, my recorded off VHS, <laughs> my VHS <laughs> recorded off TV version, ABC, ABC, Sunday, the movies. <laughs> Do you, um, do you recall the first time you, you watched it on home video? I don't. I'm sure it was something that I was very excited about because, you know, home movies or taking movies to watch at home video stores, that was kind of the rage right around then is yeah. when that really started being, I mean, remained on slow video where I worked in Nashville for so many years, you know, that had just come out. They just opened right around that time frame. So I don't remember it. I'm sure it was something I was really excited for. Um, and probably the whole family sat around the TV to watch that when it first came out. I, um, it, it was the movie that taught me that I could actually collect these movies yeah. and it actually started my video collection mm-hmm. when I realized I could buy one. 
I mean, like you said, f- 40 bucks at the time was cheap for VHS, but it wasn't cheap right. in, in 1984. Um, so I, I, still remain very joyful that, uh, that I started my movie collection with that movie. And it's, uh, it, it's something I'll always remember. That's for sure. I bet you we still have it in storage somewhere, but my dad is a gadget freak. He loves to have the newest toys and gadgets. And back in the day when VHS was around for a while, laser discs came out Yeah, and we had a laser disc for star Trek too. Uh, of course, laser just did not last very long, um, but I bet you I still have that somewhere in storage. No way to wow. play it, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you I'm pretty sure you can find a laser disc player somewhere. <laughs> so let me ask you this, man. Yeah, go ahead. Is there anything about this movie that you don't like? It's really minor things. And we talked about it a bit. Um, when we did our wreath of con episodes with, with Larry Nemechek and Ken Ray, mm-hmm. it's Shatner's delivery on one line. Um, <laughs> it's don't, uh, don't, go ahead. Don't miss bones words. <laughs> don't miss bones words. Thank you. Yeah, don't miss yeah. words bones. What do you really think? Yeah. And he says it like he's he's really fretting over it when really uh, I think the line should be delivered sarcastically because Bones, Bones is just letting him have it. Yeah. And it should be more like, yeah, Dumbass Warren's Bones. What do you really think? <laughs> and yeah. I've always thought that Shatner blew the delivery on that line. Now, granted, I'm not an actor. I wasn't there. I wasn't told, you know, what direction Shatner was given that day. It's just that's the way that scene strikes me. Yeah. Because I think it would have been slightly humorous. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows that Bones is right. And, and what better way to answer that with just a slight bit of sarcasm like he used to with Bones? Sure. No, I, I can I can understand that. I never really thought of that line like that until you told me about that or when we talked about it on the, on the podcast. And now it, it totally makes sense. Um, and I can appreciate that. This might take uh, this might surprise you a little bit. Yeah. But if there's one thing about the movie that I've never really liked, it's David. The introduction of the character or the writing of, of what he does Both. in the movie. Okay. Both. I've never been a fan of the fact that, Oh my God, Kirk has a son. They can't do that in star Trek. That would be like introducing a half brother of Spock's or a stepsister. Maybe that is not possible, <laughs> but they bring in this person. All of a sudden Kirk has a son and we're like, what are you talking about? And I don't know the, the, I don't know. I just didn't, I wasn't a big David fan. You know, I like that he sacrificed himself in Star Trek three spoiler alert, but um, it was never a big thing. And, and the, the awkwardness between David and Kirk at the end when, when Kirk hugs him and he's like, he's like Sheldon. He's like, they're there. <laughs> he's patting <laughs> him on the back. A two pat hug. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's the only thing that I really, and it's not that I dislike it or hate it. It's just not one of my favorite things about the movie. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, people are some people, a very small minority of people are very up in arms over the fact that Michael Burnham's Star Trek Discovery is Spock's foster sister and they were raised as siblings. Mm -hmm. But I can remember in 1982 and 1983 reading things in like, I don't know, fanzines and Starlog about how people were annoyed that Kirk had a son because Kirk doesn't have a son. Right. Yeah, and the I remember some of the uproar from fans that that I knew, you know, who were older. I remember people talking about it, you know, and uh, in the theater lobby after the movie, you know, just it was not a popular decision. 
So uh, at least with some of the fans that I knew, I'm not saying, you know, all fans, but kind of like the Michael Burnham thing, people just did not like this dimension of the character. I thought it was actually pretty fabulous because you figure at some point this had to happen to Kirk. That's that's just my two cents. See, I, I, I don't think that it's something that we figured had to happen to him. He is, he always talked about how he had to, he had to be alone because he was the captain and, 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 you know, he, in, in season three of TOS, he was made out to be the swashbuckling ladies man. Um, so it was kind of a shock to see that he actually had a child with someone and that there was serious discussion about what they were going to do and how they were going to raise him. And, and she just, they decided that she would raise him and he would stay away. And, and obviously they didn't see each other for a long time. And, and here we are, you've got a, a, a grown up son there, Kirky. That was the part that always got me in that, that scene in the Genesis cave or just outside the Genesis cave, you know, Chekhov's laying there pretending not to listen with the, the, the gauze on his ear. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk goes, I did what you wanted. I stayed away. Anyway. <laughs> and it's like, Oh wait, he's known all this time. Yeah. This yeah. isn't a surprise. Like no. uh, happy father's day. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, that blew my mind even at that age because I mean this was Kirk this is my boyhood hero and he wait he's got a son yeah well okay You'd paying child support pal well remember there's the economics of the future are somewhat advanced oh that's true I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I um let, go ahead I was gonna say let's let's uh, we were talking about it for a moment is the the battle at the Mutara Nebula yeah the, the well actually let me back up because before we get to the battle one of the things that i love before all the action starts is we kind of have a callback to the wonderful enterprise music scene in tmp yeah. where scotty's taking kirk over in the shuttlecraft and we have that wonderful i think 10 minute score of seeing the enterprise at all angles we kind of get that here in a in a not dumbed down version but a a smaller version of that when they're leaving space dock with some great musical fanfare and savic and and all that i think that that was a great great scene it's it's one of my favorite parts of the score of this movie is is when enterprise leaves space dock and it's it's lighting up and heading out i love that no, I have to agree with you. It's um, there's so there's so many just gorgeous shots of the Enterprise in this movie. Yeah, I love the scene where it's pulling up to the regular space station, mm-hmm. and you hear it slow down like, mm. <laughs> and just that shot from the the side is just yeah. it's gorgeous. It but it, it goes back to the model work you were talking about and how with CGI. I mean, CGI looks awesome. They can do things with CGI they couldn't do you know, back in the day, cause that technology just didn't exist, but man, there is something to be said for physical models. Right. Um, and those things are just gorgeous. I, I, you know, it's part of the reason why I think I love the enterprise refit so much is because that model, the way they shot it and the way they lit it, you know, in, in the films just commanded the screen. I'll always love the, the TOS enterprise. It always holds a special place in my heart. I mean, it sits here on my desk every day, but just, the look of that movie enterprise just really just tugs on my heartstrings. I think one of what you just said is really what I like the most about is the lighting. There's like spotlight shining down the hull. So you can see that United Federation of planets in red, or even on the warp engines where you can see some of the, uh, the lettering uh, for the ship. I think it looks fantastic, but getting to the battle, another, you know, these physical models when, when you're seeing the um, phaser bursts of the Reliant, 
How yeah. dare they? Where are the beams? <laughs> but when, when it's hitting the Enterprise, especially in the secondary hull, that physically hurts me. <laughs> Seeing scenes like that. It's just, oh, it's so amazing. Dude, that rocked my world. I used to go back and rewind that scene just to watch the the Reliant attacking the Enterprise over and over and over on VHS. You know, where Kirk gets the call right after watching the Genesis tape. That's one of ours. It's the yeah. Reliant. <laughs> you know what you know it's it's one of the most serious scenes of the movie but you know it's also the funniest it's because and i'm going to be probably a little loud i'll back away a little bit but yeah. when when they show the enterprise gimbals going back and then you see a guy go across the bridge ah! <laughs> that's like the funniest thing in the whole movie i just love that even the guy who sort of spontaneously combusts in a way <laughs> um, oh, sorry no, it's I I love that scene because the tension of that scene and just the way that you know that entire segment is constructed from the the start of the reliant attack to when Kirk outfoxes Khan is just it is movie perfection, man. You know, I I, w- I rewatched that thing and I really have a hard time trying to find anything wrong with it because I'm so captivated every single time. I and mean, that's what a good movie does. You know, you see you see the difference between somebody who is a leader of people with vengeance on his mind and somebody who is a captain and knows how to think through a situation. And that's, that's the perfect example of that. What he does with Khan, you know, you talked about it before the Z minus 10,000 meters and, and, and how they handle all of that is great. The other thing I like about that is, is when, when they're looking sharp to see what's going on with the view screen and you get that, you get that quick glimpse of the Reliant coming straight at him and Kirk goes evasive starboard. He, and he turns his chair to like help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That way. (laughs) Yeah. Another great acting moment from Kirk that from Shatner that he probably didn't realize he was doing, but it just looks perfect on camera. It really does that, that whole segment, you know, that first attack on the enterprise by the Reliant is probably some of my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, I, I, I watch it from start to finish from the, the, the point where Kirk gets called to the bridge, to the point where Scotty walks in with young Peter Preston, mm-hmm. it is just riveting and I get lost in it every single time. It's just, it, it's amazing. Um, the, the scope of that movie, you know, you see things affect our crew. You see the toll that this takes, you see, you know, sick bay lined with people yeah. and, and how that weighs on McCoy and you see, you know, Scotty's nephew lying there on the slab and McCoy pulls the sheet over and he says, you know, I'm sorry, Scotty. And it just totally gut wrenching. It totally just yanks your heart out, throws it on the floor and, and stomps on it. There is just so much that happens here for so many of the characters and it is all just exquisite to watch. And you never saw, you never saw that before on TOS when somebody, you know, when somebody died, you didn't see the reaction. You didn't see the emotion. Uh, like with Scotty losing his his nephew and uh, and and all that, and it's just it's we didn't see anything like that even in, in TMP. It was no. it, it, this was the first time that we really got to share the heartfelt emotions of this crew in ways that we had never seen before. And I thought, well, that was always a good thing. you know, this is the very first of the the super bad guys in Star Trek movies. Right. And it was the one that came first and it was the one that was done the best. It's, it's the one that we use as the yardstick, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't get any better than Ricardo Montalban is con much as people want it to, right. you know, Krug in Star Trek three, not going to happen. <laughs> um, you know, uh, 
Star Trek Five, whether you pick Cybok or Claw, not going to happen. Chang and Star Trek Six, it's close. It's close, but it's it's really there's there's just no comparison. Chris Plummer is fantastic, mm-hmm. but Ricardo Montalban is just majestic on the screen. Right. Um, it's just it's. I feel like a gushing fanboy every time I talk about Star Trek Two, because I absolutely adore the film. Now it's only recently that I felt like I've been able to watch it again going back to the whole Leonard factor mm-hmm. because after he died for a good year yeah. and a half, two years, I couldn't, uh, probably a year and a half. I couldn't watch the movie. Yeah. I was just, I was far too emotional because I, I couldn't separate Spock from Leonard. I still have a hard time with it now, but I just, I couldn't do it. Oh, I totally understand that. I mean, you and I used to talk about, about that, that you hadn't been able to watch it. And, and it was really a big thing for you when uh, you did finally, uh, pick up that director's cut and, and watched it for the first time in a long time. And, and I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, not on the same level, of course, but I want to throw out a special commendation, so to speak, mm. to take the discovery track to Paul Winth, uh, to, um, uh, Captain Terrell, Paul Winfield. Paul Winfield. Yeah. He was, he was absolutely awesome in that, uh, in that movie. I loved Captain Terrell. I, 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 I wish that we had been able to see more of him, um, but of course, you know he, he takes the phaser to help save the save, save everyone else. But I thought he he did a great job. And then of course we saw him in TNG, and he unfortunately passed away quite a while ago, I think. But uh, yeah, I liked his I liked his character as well. I gotta say, Kirstie Alley is fantastic in this movie too. And this is right. the movie that introduced her to the to the world, really. Mm-hmm. And you know, Savick was a character that I really liked. Um, I, I'm more of a Kirstie Alley Savick than I am a Robin Curtis Savick fan. Oh, um, although Robin Curtis does a fine job. Don't get me wrong, but uh, Kirstie Alley was just sort of it, you know. Um, yeah. I, I thought the way she played the part was fantastic, and plus, I thought she she lined up very well against both uh, Shatner and Nimoy, to be honest. Right, and it's it's the it's one of the funny scenes in the movie, but she looked fantastic with her hair down in that turbolift scene. I really like the um, the mixing. Uh, if you read the novel that we talked about a little bit, she's got a little Romulan in her blood. Um, right. so she's more emotional, um, than a, than a regular Vulcan. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I am a much bigger Kirstie Alley Savick fan than Robin Curtis. Unfortunately, can- because of TNG, I think of Robin Curtis more of the Romulan from that uh, episode with the Vulcan thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she changed her hair. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> you know, I'm you and I should sit together and watch Wrath of Khan at some point <laughs> and just do a commentary track. And you know what it would be? Us quoting the entire movie. <laughs> Wonderful stuff that Rami Lanel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, uh, we could probably go on and on and on for hours, yeah. which I'm sure people would actually listen to. <laughs> but uh, closing thoughts on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I wish... I wish that a lot of the people that had been involved in it were still around now that I'm going to STLV and stuff like that so that I can thank them for what they gave us with that movie. That one changed it all guys. Um, and it's one that, uh, Ricardo Montalban is just so unbelievable in that movie. It's probably will be one of my all time favorite performances in any movie just because of what he brings to that. Um, I love the outfit he wears, the broken Starfleet pendant. There's always been debate for 37 years as to whether that was really his chest or, or a fake one um, that he always said was his. Um, but I just love it. I love the movie. I love everything about it, except the David part, which we went about. But I'll even, I'll even give that an okay. 
Well, um, even Nick Meyer says that that's really Ricardo Montalban's chest. I was ripped. <laughs> well, he did push-ups like all the time. Yeah. You know, Jack Palance. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Jack Palance as Khan? The answer is no. <laughs> I won't even attempt to do an impersonation of that. <laughs> I, every time I think of Khan, you know what words come to mind? What's that? With only the contents of these cargo bays to sustain us. You lie. On City Alpha 5, there was life. This, A fair chance. This is City Alpha 5. His head shakes and everything's like. Oh, he's just, he's furious. Yeah. Anyway, uh, God, see, we could keep going down these rat holes all, all, all day, man. Did you say rat hole? Yeah, rat hole. Oh, I thought it was a rabbit hole. Uh, huh. That's different. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is, yeah. is the pinnacle. It's the reason why it's considered the best still after all this time. Mm-hmm. Other movies are fantastic, don't get me wrong. But Star Trek II is the gold standard of Star Trek movies. And it's amazing, created by somebody, or filmed by somebody who wasn't a Star Trek fan. Just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah. Dan, you know who are a bunch of big Star Trek fans? That's our friends, the band Five Year Mission. They provide all of the music for this year podcast, and we couldn't be more grateful to them for allowing us to do it. We want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. Please go get all their albums. You know, it's one thing to listen to them streaming online, but uh, let's support the band. Let's show them that we love them. Let's, uh, let's go buy all those CDs or digital downloads and, and get those in your music libraries and on your iPods because the music is just fantastic, Dan. It is fantastic. There's so many albums, year one, year two, year three, year four. They're going to be coming out with year five, Spock's Brain, Trouble with Tribbles. That's a lot of Star Trek music. And as Bill likes to point out every week, it's not just, you know, just whatever music. There are stories behind this music. There's thought into them and uh, you will love them. So check them out. One of the things I also like to check out, Bill, every week, as I always do, is I, I, I usually watch a special episode. And I did watch one this week, too, even though we were doing Star Trek Two. It's actually one of my favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine. And you might remember this one. It's the one where Bashir and O'Brien crash on a planet and are then captured by the Jem'Hadar. You I've seen it. One? Yeah. Um, there's one Jem'Hadar that's not addicted to Ketracel White. Yes. It's a great story about how a doctor's Hippocratic Oath is to help all people, not just allies. And that's probably why the episode is called Hippocratic Oath. I'm just saying. But anyway, I digress. I just love that lead Jem'Hadar. He was bred to serve the founders and be the best drummer he could be. And without the addiction of that white, he could become the greatest in all of the Dominion. That first line he spoke as his team unshrouded, do not move, you are prisoners of the Jem'Hadar. His name, of course, Bill, was Garanifark. Uh, I just want to throw that out there. I didn't realize that the first time I... Watched it. <clears throat> Grant, are you okay? Hello? You're going to throw it out there. Could you throw it out there in a trash bin? That was just terrible. All right. How about this one? Reliance Prefarks code is 16309. That's slightly better, but <sighs> still mostly painful. <laughs> uh, okay. That's all I got. Oh, thank God, because uh, you're <laughs> killing us all. Uh, but that's fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their albums, please. Of course, now don't forget, you can support the Trek Geeks Network of podcasts by subscribing to exclusive bonus content via Patreon. We're very excited about this. You're going to get content you can't get anywhere else. Plus, you can see the first of our annual supporters pins from Fansets, and you can get even get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with a whole bunch of other perks, Dan. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we want to take a moment now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are very grateful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Peter Craig, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, and the beautiful and gracious and previously aforementioned Andy Fark. Is previously aforementioned, is that kind of like a, a, a double-double, like a, you know, previous and aforementioned kind of being the same thing? Last time on Trek Geeks, your independent podcast. <laughs> you skip. Oh, so you're just skipping over me now. Okay. <laughs> we, uh, we also want to thank our producers of the Trek Geeks podcast for their support. We're grateful to them as well. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonagall, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Norman Lau, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, and of course, the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. Now, if you'd like to become a producer on the network or even get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks episodes, like Bill mentioned a moment ago, head right on over to patreon.com slash today, where subscription levels start as low as $1 a month. Bill? Next week, Dan, you're going to be headed to the happiest place on earth again jerk <laughs> so we thought we'd have just a short conversation next week but it's going to tie into disney at least a little bit yes it is and you know that's what i love about you man you come up with ways to tie in my two favorite things star trek and disney so yeah next week i'm going to be headed to mouseville and i don't mean the one from the green mile i'm going to put that right out there we're going to have a discussion on something i thought of recently what would you do if you were given full range to create your very own version of Disney World or Universal Studios or whatever, but all Star Trek themed, this is going to be fun. So, Bill, do you want to build a theme park? No. Okay, well, that's next week on Trek Geeks, <laughs> the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. This is a conversation we're excited to bring to you. It's actually one of our carpool conversations that we had for our Patreon supporters a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we're just going to bring you a little taste of what we talk about. And we figured it's a fun conversation. And uh, why not share it with you all the week that Dan goes to Disney again? <laughs> it's a shame he's not excited about that. I know I am because he won't be here. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek podcasts, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 176 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead coconut buried alive buried alive I'd love to bury you alive <laughs> I thought you would throw in the con you are so disappointing <laughs> <laughs>
Bing bong. <laughs> hey, buddy. What are they called? They're called they're called younglings, right? In Star Wars, so they're Patreonings. No, <laughs> we're bing bonging it now, though. Oh, we already started. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was a joke. Yeah. All right, we'll start. No. Okay. All right, I'll be quiet now. <laughs> we already started. Hey, buddy. Hi. Hi. <laughs> That's a great outtake for an outtake. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah, <laughs> and we're live. Hey, how are you? I'm fantastic. So we actually, before we do the outtake, we we do the the special bit for the Patreon listeners. So if you're not a Patreon subscriber, um, you can go to Trek. Uh, sorry, Patreon.com/slash/TrekGeeks and uh, subscribe if you want for as little as um, I think two dollars a, a month at that level. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah, look at you plugging stuff right in right off the get go. Hey, um, if people want access, it's best to tell them how. You know, it's fantastic. You know, you're, you know, you're, you are, you're not just good looks. You got brains too. Yeah, that's true. I'm the whole package. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh, you're gonna be getting sight. Disney's oh. a week from today for you. Yeah. Uh, I uh, at one week from right now, I will be officially on vacation, getting ready for our flight tomorrow morning, and a week from tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see your coherency packed up and left town and uh, well before that. When I get to do, you think I'm bad here on the podcast? Or, I know you're or, bad here on the podcast. You have no idea what it's like when I'm in Disney. It is like a running joke with my wife because I I am completely oblivious to almost everybody talking to me when I'm down there because I'm just like, <laughs> Look, I hate to break this to you. You're the same way at Star Trek Las Vegas. <laughs> it's, it's because of, well, it's a little different there. It's because I'm just so, you know trying to shut you out so i just shut everybody that's out that's a, a lot of crap and you know it yeah i think when there's a lot of a lot of um external stimuli coming at me i i can't i, I like shut off some some of my senses like my hearing huh what <laughs> chicken butt <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah i'm very excited looking forward to it the weather looks like it's going to be fantastic down there uh next week so yeah now are there any of the parks you're not going to while you're in disney no, we go. We always go to all. Oh, you always hit them all. But but at this point, because we've got annual passes and we've been so many times, we'll go to Epcot and just do two rides and then go and then leave, or we'll go to Animal Kingdom and we'll do Expedition Everest and then we'll go do something else. We don't stay there the whole day at all anymore. We don't do that. Uh, so you kind of park hop. Is that what it's called? Yeah, park hop, and then we'll just go to Downtown Disney and go to one of the bars and have a drink. Oh, nice. And then at nine thirty in the morning, we'll go do something else. <laughs> And it's Disney Springs now. Is that right? It is. It is Disney Springs. I'll always call it Downtown Disney. I think. Well, I still. I still try. Uh, try to keep from calling it Pleasure Island. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's Disney Springs now. They wanted to turn it more into a. I don't know what the hell to call it. <laughs> An old West Town. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah. So, and we're staying at Bay Lake this time. So. Yeah, we're pretty excited. Bay Lake is a walking distance to Magic Kingdom. It's right out the door across the parking lot. And there you go. You're right. There, oh, wow. So. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, we like that. So, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Other than that, no strong feelings on the matter. While we're there, it will be um, Star Wars Day. May the 4th is that Saturday. So, oh, I'm sorry. We will be staying away from Hollywood Studios on Saturday the 4th. You know, I don't mind Star Wars. Uh, you know, I, I loved it as a kid, but I would just like to point out that um, we Star Trek fans don't need a day that's a pun to celebrate Star Trek. I know, right? We have First Contact Day. That's right. We have uh, the day Star Trek premiered. We actually yep. got a couple days on the calendar. True. May the 4th be with you. That is the dumbest thing. Ugh. Wow. Tell us how you feel, Bill. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, okay. 
uh, yeah. What are you uh, What are you drinking there? If I could drink anymore, golly, um, we got some sangria the other day, so I'm having some mm. sangria, and it's from the Labelle Winery, actually. You know of that? I do. I actually used to work with the proprietor of the Labelle Winery. Yeah, they uh, they came out with a with a sangria, and we were at the store the other day, and they had samples, and I tasted it, and immediately grabbed a bottle. And you said, <laughs> and I went, <laughs> and tournament will take place. Oh, but he said. <laughs> It's so funny uh, because he doesn't do that, but it just it, it fits the scene. <laughs> it's like he's gnawing on Chekhov's arm. And tournament will take place on beneath you. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only way you can make Chekhov better. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, it's not still not a Chekhov fan. Uh, uh, I know. Not, I am that's... drinking a, a Dunkin' Donuts iced blueberry coffee. Is it decaf? No. Oh, you're going to be sleeping tonight. No, you're not. Uh, actually, caffeine doesn't really, really? keep me wired and buzzed. I, huh. I, I can drink coffee really much any time of the day it does not keep me up half a night okay well that's good excellent i tried i I will tell you one thing uh on sunday 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 sorry uh we went uh we were driving around and we got uh some bagels for breakfast and we stopped at dunkin donuts and i got one of those blueberry crisp lattes i don't know if you've seen the commercials for that i have okay so and and sue got sue got her raspberry uh iced coffee and and Let's just put it that this way. That that Dunkin' Donuts was right at the line of Bedford and Manchester. Yeah, another one. We were driving back towards Bedford where like the canoe is, the canoe yep. restaurant. And I stopped at that Dunkin' Donuts, threw that out, and got a different iced coffee because it was horrendous. Horrendous. Other than that, no strong feelings. Oh, my God. It was I, – and I, I said to Sue, I said, they have to have people that like taste test this crap before they put it out, right? Because whoever said yes to this – I think was trying to make Dunkin' Donuts go out of business because it's awful. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm saying okay. it right here. Yeah. Uh, you clearly are. Uh, are you uh, ready to do this, you big jerk? I am ready to do this, you big dummy. Okay. Coconut. <laughs> 